Reading your Bible, praying, finding time to be alone with God does not make you more acceptable to God, nor do those practices change you. Rather, it is where change happens, as we come to meet with our Father and connect with His heart. Our teacher on this important subject is author and speaker Preston Gillum of Fort Worth, Texas, when he spoke at the Christ's Life Conference hosted by Crossways to Life. May Father use this message to deepen your walk with Him. Good evening. Thank you for being here on Friday night. If I was at home, I'd be at the ball game. <laughs> well, Father, we are trusting you tonight. Would you speak to us through the power of your Spirit? In the name of Jesus, amen. In 1984, I think it was, a friend of mine gave me a book by an old business head who died here a couple of years ago. His name is Peter Drucker. And if you have been in the business world long, then you know that Mr. Drucker was known as the father of modern management. And the guy that I was uh, talking with and so on turned out to be something of a business mentor to me. I sublet some space to him that we had in our offices, and he taught me business. And um, I'm deeply indebted to him. He passed just a couple of years ago as well, a guy named Carol Ray. But anyway, um, about 1984 or so, Carol gave me a book by Peter Drucker entitled The Effective Executive, and uh, probably one of the most uh, profound, life-changing books that I have ever uh, personally read. And one of the things, I mean, there are several things that were just incredibly influential in Mr. Drucker's book, but one that uh, has proven to, to change my life is that Mr. Drucker uh, developed in uh, the course of his life the practice of going away for two weeks in August every year, and he would spend those two weeks going through, first of all, an evaluation of his work for the year, and then he would spend the second week setting goals and objectives and so on for the work that he planned for the, uh, for the coming year. And as I read about that, I thought, well, if a retreat is good enough for Mr. Drucker, a retreat is good enough for me. And then I began to read in the scriptures, and I found scriptures like this about Jesus. Luke 5.16, which we have talked about several times. I told you we were going to come back to it, and here we are. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Notice the operative word there. He would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. Matthew 14.23, after Jesus had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. So Jesus went away often. He went away in the evening. Mark 1.35, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. It was at this time that Jesus went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer. So several different verses, uh, each with a little bit of a different twist to it. Jesus prayed often. He prayed in the evening. He prayed in the early morning. At times he went away, and he, he prayed the whole night. 
I figured when I read these verses, well, if it was good enough for Jesus to go away and spend some time in solitude and retreat with Father, it's good enough for me. And so I determined with Mr. Drucker's counsel and with my older brother's counsel that a retreat was in order. And uh, that was, oh, I don't know, in excess of 20 years ago at least. I don't have X's on calendars for such things. But what I would like to do tonight is I would like to walk you through the routine that I go through when I go on a retreat. Uh, there's several different ways that I do this. I'd like to explain it to you. Tonight would be the night that you would want to take notes if you are a note taker. I'm going to give you a sequence. I'm going to give you a schedule. I'm going to give you a rationale. I'm going to give you a step-by-step kind of a procedure that I go through. When I first began to go on personal retreats, it was a trial and error kind of a deal for me. I started with a long retreat, uh, which was uh, a week, and I'm going to talk to you about that routine. And then I kind of went backwards and picked up some shorter retreats, and I'm going to talk to you about those as well. The system that I am going to describe, the systems that I'm going to describe, are are mine. I've, I've developed them over the years. I mean, if there is something here that you pick up this evening that will prove to be of value to you, great. I mean, that's why I'm sharing it with you, is to try to create a model that you might be able to emulate either in full or in part. I'm going to... Um, offer some modifications as we go along, but obviously you're going to need to sit down and do some generalization with this thing. As, as I trust you would get from everything that I have shared from, you know, the beginning of our conference right up through the ending of our conference tonight, I have uh, tried to uh, be very honest with you. I've tried to be uh, very personal with you. Every talk that, that I've given this week has been entitled Personal Something. My personal story, uh, personal God, personal disciplines, personal prayer, personal discussion. And tonight, the title of, of what I'm talking about is Personal Retreat. Uh, there are things that I'm doing that just simply won't work for you. There are parts of my life that I've talked to you about that you may disagree with. Uh, you know, I've referenced that my atheist neighbor got me into a wine group on Friday night. You may not drink wine. You may think that's wrong. Hey, that's fine. Um, don't stumble over that. I've talked to you about writing. You may not be a writer. Don't stumble over that. Uh, God does not care if you mess up the king's and queen's English. Uh, that's a good question. It's the king's English at home, but is it the queen's English up here? Anyway, um, you may mess up the queen's English when you, when you try to write. God doesn't care about that. What's he, what is important to him is that you sit down and you are honest with what you write down. You may think, you know, it is just absolutely stupid that anybody would suggest that I go get a blank book at the bookstore. I mean, just the very concept, blank book. I mean, it's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Uh, somebody, I mean, it'd be crazy to go do that and then draw pictures on it and think I'm going to get anywhere out of it. Hey, if it doesn't work for you, that's fine. Take the things that I'm describing. You say, I'm not a dog person. Fine. You're a cat person. 
Don't get a dog. I'm just giving ideas here that maybe you can springboard off of, and tonight is no different. I'm going to give you a great deal of detail this evening because it takes this kind of detail that I'm going to go through for me to get done what I believe I need to get done. You take it, work it to whatever extent you wish, throw out the uh, bones and eat the meat, if you will. The types of retreats that I will talk about here, just a quick overview. First of all, there are kind of daily retreats, and I'll tell you about those in a sec. There are as-needed retreats, uh, short retreats, and long retreats. So four types of retreats that I'm going to talk about. First of all, daily. I really have covered everything that I need to say or feel like I want to say about daily retreats when uh, we talked about personal prayer. These daily retreats are short moments that I capture in my day where I retreat to talk to Father. As you know, and as I talked about last night, there's you know 20 to 40 minutes every morning when I lie on the floor and kind of stretch and try to get my back limbered up and so on, that is a time where I talk to, to Father. In the evenings, there is a time when I take off and within a quarter of a block of my house, I say, Father, what's on your mind tonight? And then I shut up and I listen and I pay attention to what is on Father's mind and I walk until he he seems to be done talking. Sometimes that's a 15, 20 minute walk. Uh, Sometimes that's a long walk. It's whatever's on his mind. I figure I'm there to listen. And as I pointed out last night, I figure it's the providence of God that he gave us one mouth and two ears. So it doesn't surprise me sometimes if my walk at night is longer than my talk in the morning is. So I think of these as daily uh, kinds of retreats. Then there are as-needed retreats. The um, as-needed retreat for me is kind of a half-day and it typically occurs uh, impromptu a little bit when something is closing in on me and I feel pressured and there is something that I need to just just go and talk with God about. The concept is very similar when I tell Diane, you know, I call her and and leave her a voicemail, say, hey, call me as soon as you get out of class. And, and she calls, you know, 3.30 in the afternoon, then says, what's up? And I say, hey, there's some stuff on my mind. Uh, what time are you going to get home? Okay, I'll swing by. I'll pick you up at 6 and we'll go eat. In other words, there's something I need to talk to you about. Same concept with Father. Father, there's something on my mind I need to talk with you about. It's not one of those quick discussions. It's one of these things where I need to really just carve out some time and get focused. And I, I kind of need it right now. So could we, could we meet tomorrow morning? And so tomorrow morning, I get up, have breakfast, get Diane out the door 6.30 or so, and then I follow her pretty quick, and I have from 6.30 then to noon or whatever I've carved out to have a retreat with Father, if you will. And then there is a short retreat. And uh, as I talk now, as I begin to talk about short retreat, next thing's long retreat, I'm going to begin building for you some concepts that are part of all of these retreats, but I'm going to build the concepts within the short and the long models so that you can, can begin to catch the components 
that I believe are important in, uh, in retreating. One of the first concepts that I want to talk about is the concept of solitude. Solitude. This is one of the spiritual disciplines, or uh, as we called it, one of the personal disciplines. And you remember that that uh, disciplines uh, were described for us in one of the quotes that I gave as being a narrow path, and on either side there's a precipice. And on, on one side is legalism, on the other side is license, and then in the middle is this pathway. And the pathway, uh, is described by this author, is the pathway of spiritual discipline or personal discipline. And it is not a pathway that you walk in order to change, but rather it is a place where you put yourself so that God can change you. So in other words, spiritual discipline or personal disciplines do not change you, but rather they position you so that Father does what Father wishes in your life. Solitude is one of those disciplines, just like prayer is one of those disciplines, um, as Bible reading is one of those disciplines and so on. Solitude is one of those. Let me go back to these verses of Scripture that I read a moment ago about Jesus, only I want to emphasize a few different things when I, when I read these. So let me work my way through them. First of all, Luke, Luke 5.16. But Jesus himself would often slip away. Remember we talked about that, that idea of slipping away. Uh, I guess it was last night or the night before. And that's a good, a good uh, translation. I went and looked, looked up that word slip away. And you remember Jesus often would be surrounded by uh, the crowds and so on, or he would find himself in a, a predicament of some sort and he would slip away. And it, it has the concept of everybody's kind of busy talking, they're focused on other things and so on, and the next thing they look up and Jesus is gone. Nobody knows where he has gone. He has slipped away uh, to the wilderness, or as we talked last night, it can be the wilderness, it can be a lonely place, it can be to the wilderness or into the wilderness, it can be uh, to a lonely place or in a lonely place. The idea is uh, one of I'm by myself, I have isolated and insulated, and I have, in this passage of Scripture, slipped away into that spot and created then solitude. Uh, Matthew 14.23, after Jesus had sent the crowds away, so here is a preparatory activity by Jesus where he sends the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. So in that passage, we have some things that Jesus is doing, and the outcome finally is he is alone. Solitude. Mark one thirty-five. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place and prayed there. So notice again, when the verse is talking about Jesus seeking retreat in the early morning, he gets up, it's still dark, everybody else is still asleep, he gets up, he leaves the house, so apparently it wasn't good enough 
for in his mind anyway, in this instance, to get his cup of coffee and sit down at the kitchen table and retreat. Instead, he left the house, went away to a place that he defined apparently as secluded, apart where he again is alone. Solitude. Luke chapter 6 verse 12. It was at this time that Jesus went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer. Uh, the, the, the phrase that I want to uh, mark there for us is he went off. In other words, he went someplace to create the kind of environment that he felt was important for him to be able to communicate with his father appropriately. So this idea of, uh, of solitude, where do I find that? Uh, I find it several places. I have several uh, spots that for me are places of solitude. I have sought them out. I've gone out and scoped them out. I've researched them, etc., I have different places for different felt needs, and I have different places that I go depending upon the weather. Now, we don't have, um, you know, really cold weather like you guys have. We don't have, you know, a bunch of snow and, and all that sort of I mean, we get cold weather, but, but not, not like you do. For me, the, the bigger problem is heat. I mean, there's very rarely a day that, I mean, that is cold enough that I would say, oh, it's too cold, I can't go. But there are plenty of days where I would say, you know, it is not smart for me to be out because it's too hot. So I have places that accommodate this uh, in my in my plan for solitude. For example, there is a place where I go that's called a Mineral Wells State Park. It's one hour from my house door to door. And when I drive into the state park, it is a, a long, skinny piece of land, several miles long. And I have been out there enough such that I know this piece of property like I kind of know the back of my hand. And so I can park my truck and, you know, grab my Camelback water container and I then can just, within just a matter of steps, I can drop off and disappear into the, into the woods. And I then can find solitude in this state park. One, because I know the, the land. And number two, I typically will head there during the week. So I will take time away. Now, during the week may not work for you. You know, I mean, I've had the flexibility of being able to say, hey, I run this deal. I'm going to call and say I'm not coming in today. You may not have that capability, but I did. That's one of the ways that I could create solitude. Nobody's going to be there on Thursday. So I will go to the state park. I'll drop off into the woods, which I know, and then I will have this I'll have several miles of, of bush to myself. Um, when the hot weather kicks in, I have a place that is about, oh, I don't know, it's less than five minutes from my house, uh, a botanic garden. And it's, you know, a lot of acres. Uh, it takes me about a half a day to walk it. And so I can go there uh, early in the morning. The gates open at 6 uh, a.m. I can go there early in the morning and there are no street lights in there or anything like that. And I can spend a half a day in the botanic garden before the thermometer, you know, hits 100 degrees. 
So that's a place where I can go and find solitude and yet manage the, the weather. There are a system of levees around our house, or excuse me, around our town that control a river that runs through Fort Worth called the Trinity River. And these are just big mounds of dirt, uh, wide enough that you can drive a truck down them and, I don't know, 30 feet tall maybe or so. And then the river you know, channel is through there and these levees follow the river channel, etc. And they're to prevent flooding. And so I can go, you know, up, go through Rivercrest Country Club, down Hidden Drive and park uh, beside a, a cabled off area, jump over the cable and find myself then on the levees. And I can walk these levees then for miles and miles and miles and miles. I've ridden my bicycle 15 miles on these things and have never covered them all yet. So in other words, I've got, you know, kind of the whole world open to me there. And yet nobody bothers to go walk on the levees. That's one of the places where I go uh, for solitude and to talk with Father. I... um have traditionally traveled, uh, you know, 90 to 100 days a year. And so I find myself on an airplane fairly frequently. I've got a whole routine for how I get on an airplane. I sit down, I put in some earplugs. If, um, if it's especially distracting or whatever, I carry an iPod with me. I've got a whole playlist on my iPod of music that is not distracting to me. I'll plug in that music and I will sink into my own world. And I got somebody to wait on me and bring me whatever I want. And I've got, you know, a couple, three, four hours, uh, you know, two, three, four hours sitting on this airplane to be by myself. And never mind that there's 200 other people on there with me. I don't know them. They don't know me. I'm not going to get to know them. They're not going to get to know me. I sink into a place of solitude. It's this wide by this deep. And it's always an assigned seat. Going home, I know I've got about three hours and 15 minutes all to myself in seat 13D. A place of solitude. I can hardly wait. Because I know that Father will meet me there. Um, I like to fish. Uh, I fly fish. And I will uh, go to the Brazos River. I was telling Ross today, I'll go down there and I'll fish for carp. Um, and I will just, I'll just wade the river. And sometimes I fish and sometimes I just carry the rod. I go there to talk with Father. I walk in my neighborhood as I have described for you. And I've described how I do that. Take my glasses off so that I can't see real well. I go after dark so that I don't see, and that hampers me from seeing even more so. And I sink into my own little world and discuss with Father a place of retreat, a place of solitude that is mine anytime I want it in a sense. I will talk more about this idea of solitude as we go, but hopefully now you understand the concept of what I mean by solitude. Hopefully we've tied it to the scripture sufficiently that you see that when it says that Jesus would slip away, that he would be alone, that he would go to a secluded place, that he would go off. You understand that this is a place of solitude that he goes, he insulates and protects himself from distraction so that he can have a private discussion with Father.
when I go away for a a short duration or a long duration, or if it's one of these half-day-as-needed retreats, I always take something with me to make notes on or to record or whatever it is that, that I hear that Father might say to me. So uh, sometimes I'll carry um, a piece of paper, you know, just take a, uh, an 8.5 by 11 piece of paper, fold it up, stick it in my pocket, make sure I've got an ink pen, and off I go. Sometimes I'll carry a recorder with me, and I will record into that recorder. Um, lately, I have gone to carrying my phone with me because my phone has an email capability, and I'll just email I'll sit and take notes as I listen to what Father's saying to me, and then once once the conversation's done, then I'll just email that to myself. And that way I I take notes for this. And it doesn't matter if the phone has a reception at Mineral Wells State Park or not. It still works. I mean, the electronics still work. And so I can, you know, do this, send it, and then once it gets service on the way back home, then it'll send it to me. You know, but it's a means by which I can take notes and record what it is that, that Father wants to say to me. It's the rough equivalent of being at lunch with somebody and they start saying something important and you pull out your pen and get a napkin and make some notes. So I always have some means of recording Father's counsel when I'm asking him for counsel. So I do that then, uh, all of these things take place in an abbreviated fashion when I do a short retreat. And a short retreat is typically a day. And I, my routine is that I schedule a day a month where I go away and spend the day talking with Father about the things that are on my mind and the things that I um, uh, discern that are on his mind. And I go to one of these kinds of places that I've just uh, just described. Now, let me begin to talk about um, this idea of a longer retreat. I'm going to give you a little bit more detail. I'll do this in a sequential fashion, the way that it unfolds in my head. There will be some rationale along the way. I do a week a year of um, when it comes to a longer retreat. And again, I know that might not be possible for you. That's just what I do. I do a week a year. It usually falls in uh, the first uh, couple of weeks of November. And I do that uh, on purpose. Um, one, because if I'm going to drive to a particular retreat area, then, uh, you know, unless I drive to Colorado or something, I will drive for a day and it'll still be hot uh, in the first part of November, potentially. And so, or excuse me, if I if I don't wait until November, it'll still be kind of hot. And the snakes will be out and all that stuff and the poison ivy stuff I don't want to mess with. And so I wait until the first couple of weeks of November and then I uh, schedule you know, what I'm going to do, uh, where I'm going to go at that sort of thing. I'll tell you about, more about that in a sec. I also block off the weekend before I go on this retreat and the weekend after the retreat. So I've got, uh, you know, however many days that works out to, what, 10, 11 days that I have actually blocked off in my calendar. 
and the weekend before is uh, kind of finishing up kind of stuff, and I'll talk some about what that looks like. It's a devoted time with Diane, um, you know, etc. But it is a wind-down kind of a time. So in other words, if I'm flying on Monday to my retreat place, we don't have dinner with somebody on Sunday night. Uh, we don't have dinner with somebody on Saturday night. We may go to dinner together on Saturday night or something like that, but I don't have a jam-packed schedule the weekend before I leave on a retreat, and I don't have anything in my schedule the weekend after I come back from a retreat. That is time when I debrief, and I'll talk to you extensively about what I mean by by uh, debriefing. So I um, plan the dates, and I mark these off on my calendar, and I protect them uh, with a vengeance. I have discovered that uh, oftentimes when people call and want me to come to a conference or something like that, I say, well, what time of the year did you have in mind? Well, I was thinking about the first two weeks of November. It's just uncanny how how that occurs. But I have discovered that if I don't get my retreats uh, done, first two weeks of November, the third week doesn't really work because that leads into our time of Thanksgiving. I know that you've got Thanksgiving coming up Monday. Ours is on a Thursday, and it's always the third Thursday in November or something like that. And I've noticed if I try to push it even into that third week of November, I start bumping up against a holiday. We have Thanksgiving on Thursday. Our routine around our house is that then on Friday we break out the Christmas decorations and the Christmas music and get the Christmas tree up and all that sort of thing. And then the first of December is upon us. And as soon as that happens, then invariably the Christmas parties start happening and et cetera. And I don't get it done. And I've learned this the hard way. Um, that if I don't get this done the first couple of weeks of November, it doesn't happen until January. And I have shown up on my personal retreat before in January, uh, kind of half-cocked in my preparation and everything else, and have stepped um, stepped into my retreat and said, said, Father, here I am. And I've heard the words, where have you been? Where have you been? I've been waiting since November. And that's not a good thing to hear. And so I'm religious about when I go on on this retreat. And I schedule it and I protect it. So I reserve a date on the calendar and then I make a commitment to that date. There's all kinds of different ways to make a commitment. Um, Typically what I do that, that makes the commitment is I book an airline ticket. And then I'm committed <laughs> because they aren't refundable. Um, typically, that is the thing that I do that seals this. In other words, yes, it's in one sense I've got it on the calendar, but you know I have found that I can often waffle until I have you know hit the hit the uh, buy the ticket button on the on the on- online purchasing uh, store, you know, and bought my airline ticket. Once I buy the airline ticket, now I'm committed. Uh, to this. So I've made a reservation, etc. I have budgeted. I've worked into my um, personal budget. I've worked into my professional budget, etc. Um, the money that's going to be necessary for this retreat. I've budgeted everything from 
airline fares to a rental car to food to a gift for my wife while I'm away. In other words, I'm uh, looking to see that I uh, cover all of my bases to ensure that I leave as little room as possible for the enemy to attack me. Now, that doesn't mean he won't attack and he won't try to distract. It just means I've learned that these are uh, touchy areas that I must guard in the process of getting ready for my retreat. Just as an aside, uh, as, as you know, I up until just last month, I, I ran my own organization for, for 30 years. And as I began to uh, see the benefit in my own life of a personal retreat, I began to budget into my uh, corporate budget a time of retreat for all of my executive staff. And whereas I would go for a week personally, I would uh, schedule or budget for them a retreat of one to three days. And as part of this, I would require that they go do this, but then I would also coach them on what I wanted them to do while they went away. And then we would, you know, talk about that when they got back and so on. It was one of the things I felt like I could bring to them as um, as their boss that would be kind of a benefit, but that would also be something that I could kind of coach and, and mentor and, and help them with as well. I mentioned it in passing, but you noticed in the passages that we read here about Jesus that in the Mark passage, it notes that he got up and he left the house. I figure that if it's important enough for Jesus to get up and leave the house, then that tells me, press, you can't get the kind of personal retreat done that you need to get done and do it at the house. And I've learned the hard way over the years. I can't retreat at the house and I can't take vacations at the house. It just doesn't work. I got to leave town. And so as part of the importance of retreating, I personally plan then that I'm going to uh, to leave and, and pull away. Let's talk for a minute then about duration. When you start thinking about how long you're going to be gone. Like I said, I, I mark off a week of time the weekend before, the weekend after. I realize that might not be possible for you. You may get stuck trying to take a week of vacation or something to do this. So that might not be reasonable. Um, maybe three to three to four or five days would be something that would be more reasonable. Maybe you uh, work a weekend in there, and so you take off Friday after work, and you don't come back un- until Monday night or something like that. Uh, if you're a um, parent, you got little kids, then being gone for three or five days, that's not a reasonable deal. But, hey, you negotiate all the time in your marriage, so why not negotiate for a Friday night and a Saturday? You know, and, and dad gets to keep the kids and have dad's weekend kind of with the, with the little guys, and you then take off uh, Friday afternoon, 5 o'clock, and you don't come back until Saturday night. Uh, kind of a deal. And, and then you trade off and dad, you get to do the same kind of a thing and you work a retreat in, in this kind of a fashion. Anything is better than nothing is, is the point. Don't stumble over duration, but do, but do make some time is, is the point here. The, um, choosing of a place 
is also a critical variable here. I have several places that I retreat to uh, from time to time, and I know them well. One of the places, you'll hear me reference it a little bit later in an excerpt from a journal that I'm going to read to you, is a place that I just simply call Doc Bob's. Uh, Doc Bob's is a ranch in northern Arkansas, and about 500 acres or so, I guess. It's uh, in the Ozark Mountains, so it's, you know, up and down kind of land, real rocky, got a, you know, a little creek running through it. And uh, I've been going to this piece of property for 30 years. And I uh, fly into Harrison, Arkansas on a little commuter plane. Doc Bob meets me at the airport, gives me his four-wheel drive. I drive 12 miles on a nasty road, cross the river twice, and close the gate behind me, and now I'm there at the at the Lazy A Tranch. And that is one of the places that I retreat to. Now, I go there for a couple of reasons. One, nobody's going to bother me there. But number two, I've been going there for 30 years. I know this place. When I walk in the door, it smells like home to me. I know where everything is. I know where everything in the barn is. I know where the switches are for the hot water heater. In other words, when I walk in, I don't have to think about where I am. I settle in immediately. When I break in a new place, it takes me at least a half a day, if not three quarters of a day, to get my bearings. One of the other places that I go to is in is just outside of Bozeman, Montana. And so here again, fly to Bozeman, get a rent car, drive out to this place. First time I went there, I lost three quarters of a day just finding out where the trails were and so on and where that mountain road went and this mountain. Now I know all of that stuff, and I don't have to go there anymore. Instead, I drive in. I say hi to Ted and Laura. I know exactly where my room is. I know what I need to buy at the store when I come through Bozeman. I show up, pull in, park my car, get out, know where the fridge is, put all my stuff in there, and I mean, boom, I'm home. I've been there many, many times, and now then I'm comfortable, and I can get right to work. Every now and then I do have to break in a new spot, but I just, I know that when I do, it's going to take me time to do that. So I go to a place that is very familiar to me when I, uh, when I schedule my retreats. Places that are remote work for me. Places that are urban typically do not because there are too many distractions for me in an urban location. I like the mountains. I like cold weather. Those help me retreat. I don't care for the beach, and I don't care for hot weather. Those are distractions for me. When I um, uh, am thinking about where I'm going to go, in other words, the geography and the, and the environment are, are things that all factor into me being able to pull away just as the scriptures talk about Jesus did, being able to pull away into the wilderness or into what I equate as a lonely place so that I can have a personal discussion with Father. Now let me talk a minute about preparation. The One of the critical things that I do in my preparation is I offload from my head into Father's court. 
Uh, the scriptures say that we are to bring our burdens to Father. It says that we're to cast our burdens upon Father. Literally, it says we're to fling them on Him. All right? So in other words, we don't have to put them in nice uh, outlined type order. We don't have to box them up. Tie a ribbon, etc. Apparently, he says, "Hey, I'll take care of all that. I got people for it, or whatever. Just fling them at me. I'll take care of it. Fling your burdens at me." And so I began offloading whatever's on my mind well in advance. And I'll talk about time and everything here in a minute. I offload on Father whatever is going on in my head. I start dumping it on him, and I tell him, uh, I tell him. Ahead of time, like he needs me to tell him, but nevertheless, I tell him, hey, my retreat's coming up. You know the routine. It's time for me to dump. And so I start telling him, and I tell him everything that's going on, everything from, you know, hey, I got this issue at work. Hey, this book has been bothering me. Hey, Diane is doing this and such, you know, and oh, I need to do thus and so. And what about this? And, uh, you know, whatever's going on. There, there, I don't edit any of it. I dump it all out and say, Father, there's this, and there's this, and there's this. And, you know, I figure if, if I dump something over there and it doesn't belong to him, he's going to give it back to me in some sort of a gracious way because that's the kind of person he is. And so I don't worry about all that stuff. I just dump it over there on him and begin leaving it with him. Anything goes, in other words, when I start giving the issues that are on my mind to Father. Um, I must get the urgent things off my mind and into his court. Uh, urgent things to me are distractions. They distract from the important things. So I've got to get rid of the urgent things onto him. Oftentimes he'll give me some guidance back. You know, he'll bring thoughts to my mind, in other words. Ah, if I were to do such and such, then that would ease that tension that I'm feeling, help some of the stress, and and so on. But eventually then I'll get down to the important things. Father, this is something that is continuing to hang on in my head. Uh, what what are we going to do about that long-range deal? Um, you know, we need to talk about that at some point. It's on my mind. This has been bothering me about Diane. She keeps coming to me and telling me that she's bothered by X. I don't know what to tell her. Uh, I need guidance on that. And then I just, I keep bringing all of these things kind of in a sequential order, but the first things are the urgent. And then later on, I realize I'm down to the important matters that I'm bringing uh, to him. I have learned that the sequence that these things come out of my head uh, typically are in indicative of the, the categories of urgent, important, and kind of the right things. So urgent typically comes out really fast because it's nagging at me. Once I get those things dumped out, then I realize that I'm beginning to talk to him about important things, important things being very meaningful, legitimate issues that we need to ponder. And then finally, I begin to be able to sort back through this then and say, so, Father, what are the right things that I really need to be thinking about? Um, you know, if you, you know, you can go work all day long and be very busy, but if you don't work on the right things, you don't get anything done. 
You know, and it's the same in life. You can worry about all sorts of stuff and, and so on, but if you don't think about the right stuff, then you don't get the right kinds of things done. And of course, the scriptures talk about what, whatsoever, uh, finally, brethren, whatever things are right, pure, lovely, honorable, good repute, blah, 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 let your mind dwell on these things and the peace of God will be with you. So what are those right things? I begin to get down to those where I can, uh, can talk to him about this. A quick, quick review. How do you talk with Father? Um, we talked about that last night when we talked about prayer and um, and so on. So I won't review a lot of that, but that's where that information is if you missed it uh, from last night. Uh, when do I talk with Father um, about these sorts of things? I'm talking to him about this in the mornings when I'm stretching. Uh, we're discussing it at night when I'm walking. I'm putting it in my journal. In other words, I'm beginning to bring my focus down like this as the time for my personal retreat gets gets closer. And I figure Father knows this, and he knows that this is, is what I'm doing, and so that's when I talk to him about, about this stuff. Now, one of the questions that I tripped, one of the things I want to bring up at least that I tripped over Frequently in my early days of retreating, what will I take with me? What will I take with me when I go on my retreat? I, and I'll talk some more about each of these a little bit in the next session. Um, I will take typically one book with me, and it is a particular book that I will uh, describe for you. I'll take my Bible, of course. I will take my journal. And, of course, the journal's in the computer, and I'll talk to you more about that and why and so on. And apart from that, all I take then uh, is, is the right clothes. So if I'm going to Montana in November, it's going to be snowy and cold, and I know I need to go prepared for that. And so on. If I'm in Arkansas in November, I, it's not going to be snowy, but I do need some jacket. And so, in other words, I get ready for the place, and that's that's pretty much it. So there's not not a heavy uh, heavy load. What will I leave at home? Again, I'll talk more about distractions in the next session. But some of the things I don't take, I don't take any other books. So I don't take the latest uh, novel. I you know I don't take whatever I'm reading that stimulates my mind about whatever. You know, um, I just I just don't take that. I don't take any magazines with me. Uh, take my iPod only because I might need it to create solitude on the airplane. But once I get off the airplane, it goes in the bag and it never comes out again. I don't take a fishing rod when I go on one of these long retreats because the fishing rod would be a distraction to me at this point in time. When do I begin preparing? I begin uh, my planning. Marking off the calendar, buying airline tickets six months in advance. And I have a reminder in my calendar that pops up, says time to book this. And I've learned that when it pops up, I don't snooze it. I gotta go deal with this like right, right away. Uh, otherwise it gets snoozed and it, it doesn't get done. So, uh, six months out, I, I make my plan and I book. I, of course, compare notes with Diane, that sort of thing. I start talking to Father about the offloading idea about one to two months out, depending on how many issues there are uh, fogging around in my head. And then everything gets really intense one week 
before I leave. And during that last week, I am very focused on anything else that's going on in my mind. And I'll explain why I get so intense about that during the next session. Then I uh, spend some time getting my computer and my journals together. If I'm going to be flying, I have uh, time. It's, uh, you know, time I leave to the time I land in Bozeman is four hours. So I've got four hours to get ready with the computer. If I'm driving somewhere, then I don't have those four hours. So I have to work on getting ready in advance of that. When I say getting ready, here's what I mean. When I write in my journals in, uh, in the computer, and I've described how I do that uh, to you in, in other sessions, but when I write in my journal, everything's in there. There are things in there that are the revelations from God. I mean, I, you know, reading, the, reading his word, and lo and behold, out jumps this truth, and voila, and I start writing about it. And then I write in there about you know, catching a fish. I write in there about what a terrible marriage I've got. You know, I write in there about what a great marriage I've got. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in there, you know. Uh, no holds barred. It's my deal. I put whatever I need to help me process and so on. So in other words, there's some good stuff in those journals and there's some other stuff that doesn't matter. So when I say I go back through these, what I mean is I go back and I begin with the journal um, from the previous November. All right. Open that journal up. So like, uh, you know, uh, when I uh, go on this year's retreat, I'll open up the journal for November of 2007. All right. And I will I'll start reading through that journal. And when I come to places where I have recorded something that God said to me, something that God did in my life, I highlight that and I copy it. And I paste that into a brand new file called Father's Guidance from November to November. All right? You follow? So I copy what God has said to me out of the journal and I paste it into a brand new file. Then I go back to the journal and I start reading and I find something else that God has said to me and I've recorded. Copy that, go back to the other file and paste it. In there. So in other words, and I do that then for the whole 12 months, and what I wind up with then in the Father's Guidance file is I wind up with a file that's, that, that is nothing but what God has been doing in my life for the previous year. You follow what I'm saying to you? So I, in other words, I, I get, I keep all the chaff out of it. All the stuff about Diane or the, you know, the house or whatever, you know, work. It's a, all that other stuff stays in the journal. What God has said to me, all of that gets copied out and put in a single file. So in other words, I could go to my journal right this minute, open it up, and I could read a sequence of what I have recorded God having done in my life for the last several years. And so I collect all of that into a into a new document in advance of going to arriving at my retreat location because that new document then is going to form the the beginning points of discussion that God and I are going to have for the time of retreat if I'm flying, I do that on the uh, on the airplane. If I'm driving, I do it ahead of time. My schedule. Um, 
I plan my meals. I plan what nights I'm going to go to town and eat. I plan what night I'm going to take my hosts and buy them dinner in town because I've already told them in advance I'm coming on my personal retreat. Now, I've got all of these people trained you know, to whose, to whose place I'm going. I've got all of those people trained so that when I call them and say, I'm coming on my personal retreat, they know that means we, we're not going to bother him. You know, if we see him, we'll wave, but we're not going to go talk to him. Uh, because I've told him this is what I need. But on Thursday night, I want to take you out to dinner and I'll spend a hundred dollars on their dinner. Just to, so they know. I'm absolutely certain they know. You're my friend. I'm not mad at you. Here's what God's doing in my life. Blah, blah, blah. And it keeps the relationship fresh and so on. And then there's other times when I go up, for example, to Doc Bob. I'll be up at Doc Bob's next week, as a matter of fact. And I'll just hang out with Doc Bob. So he knows. You know, I've got him trained over the years. Sometimes he comes to do this and other times he comes to do that. Um, I do back when I was running my organization, I did two retreats per year. One was a personal retreat. One was a planning retreat. Those two things are very different. Um, now, I want to take our break now because I'm going to switch gears a little bit when we come back, and I'm going to begin to talk about the mental discipline that I go through as I actually step into my uh, retreat time. All right? So, Father, would you keep the things we've been talking about together in everybody's head, and would you prep us for the sequence of mental prep and so on that are uh, to follow here after our break? In the name of Jesus, amen. This message was recorded at the Christ is Life Conference hosted by Crossways to Life. It is the desire of Crossways to Life to know God deeper and disciple Christians on their journey to life and freedom that they may love others from their new pure heart by faith in Jesus Christ, living through them as a result of their union with Christ at the cross. For more information, upcoming events, or how to contact us, please visit our website at www.crosswaystolife.org.